Morning, glory, America. Bonjour, hi, Canada. That music means it's time for the Hilltail Dialogue, the last radio hour of the week. And if you're watching on my YouTube channel, you'll see I'm joined by Dean Matt Spaulding. He, of course, is the head of Hilltail in Washington, their graduate school that sits in the shadow of the Capitol. Good morning, Matt Spaulding. How are you, Dean? Uh, good morning, Hugh. How are you? Good to I'm see you. great. We're going to cover good some to very. Uh, it is good to see you. We're going to cover some very controversial points. We're going to cover the names of military bases, the names of aircraft carriers and statues, and whether they ought to come up or down. I'd like to start, and we're going to cover Senator Tom Cotton's speech on the floor of the Senate this week. I'd like to start with the statue that is closest to Hillsdale's campus in D.C. It's called the Great Emancipator Statue, I believe. Can you describe it to us, and why ought it to remain? Yeah, I, I, I can. It's called uh, Emancipation. It was uh, erected, it was, it was commissioned and, and made in 1876 by a guy named Thomas Ball. Uh, and it, it was put up with money uh, given, to, it was given to the government by former slaves. Uh, and Frederick Douglass is the one who spoke at its dedication. Here's, I don't know if you can, can you see this? Here's a picture of it. This I is can where, see that. It shows... It shows Lincoln and a former slave appearing to bow before him. I'm not sure I would say bow. I would say in a position well, so of oppression. Here's, here's part of the controversy, and we know something of the answer here, because the creator, the sculptor, Bohr, actually wrote some things. And uh, he wrote, the slave is not kneeling. He's actually in a crouched position, getting ready to stand up. He's broken his change. And he's, if you see, he's not looking at Lincoln. He's looking off into the distance. He's getting ready to rise up to freedom. Lincoln, on the other hand, is, is saying, go, go forward. You're free. And uh, it's, it's, it's symbolic, I think, exactly of the, of the message of both Lincoln and, and the freedom of slaves and emancipation. And I think it's been not only wrongly, it, it's mis- misunderstood but the idea of tearing this down as being a, a statue representing uh, a system, systemic racism in America, I think, is just patently absurd. Uh, you also noted for me in your notes, Matt Spaulding, that Frederick Douglass dedicated the statue. Uh, he did dedicate the statue, uh, and it was probably one of his one of his greatest speeches. You can look it up uh, online and read it for yourself. And we see in there that, uh, you know, he. He is very straightforward. He's speaking to President Grant, who's sitting in front of him at the time. And among other things, there's a criticism about the status of Reconstruction. Reconstruction is not doing that well. uh, And he's pushing against that. But he praises Lincoln. And he praises Lincoln uh, very extensively. And if I can, I would actually uh, quote one quick passage uh, where... um, uh, you know, he says that when it came to slavery, uh, Lincoln was uh, seemed to be tardy, cold, dull, and indifferent, but measured from the sentiment of his country, a sentiment he was bound as a statesman to consult. He was swift, zealous, radical, and determined. And this is this is a monument to that man who freed these millions of slaves. Uh, and our first martyred president is a powerful, powerful address uh, that it's hard to understand why there would be any criticism about it, uh, especially in light of, I mean, you know, we have today, uh, as we're going to talk about later, this the, the sense of, of mob rule, these, where, where there's, a, there's a fever 
uh, people being led by their passions. We need less of that. We need more Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. Douglass, I... this man was a slave. You read, you read his autobiography. He was a slave. And yet through all of that, through that suffering, he could see what, what America was. Uh, and he looked through that. And at first he was against, he thought the founding was bad and racist and it was full of slavery. But he then studied it and read it and, and looked around him. And he concluded that the Constitution was a great freedom document, he called it. And it was a freedom document because behind the Constitution was another thing called the Declaration of Independence, which he called the, the ring bolt of, of our country. The ring bolt we have to go back to, those truths of the Declaration. And, so, and the line I have been drawing for people, Dean Spaulding, is the Jefferson Memorial and the Washington Monument do not have to come down, even though both men own slaves, which is a moral failing. They set us on a path that allowed for liberty. And that path was not a necessary thing that was going to evolve by history. They set slavery on a path to extinction. Lincoln recognized that it could not survive outside of the South. Douglas attempted to in, uh, obstruct it. Lincoln was the first to try and obstruct the obstruction. And eventually he brought about the civil, as he said, and the Civil War came. This and past came, right. and the war came. The this past week, two statues were toppled in San Francisco. One is a Catholic I object to, Father Saint Junipero Serra, who uh, did great things for the native peoples of California, which some dispute. But he was a great saint of the Catholic Church. He was pulled down in an act of anti-Catholic bigotry. And I believe Catholics believe that genuinely. And U.S. Grant, who not only won the war that freed the slaves and defeated the Confederacy, he also took on the Ku Klux Klan and he, he made Reconstruction stick. There is no rhyme or reason to tearing down a U.S. Grant statue. No, look, this this goes back to the, the, the point about the there's there's no r- reason. There's no deliberation. There's no consideration of what's going on. Uh, I, I read something the other day about a, uh, a a statue of an of an immigrant abolitionist who joined and was fought with the Union armies that was torn down in uh, Wisconsin. No, Mr. Hegg. Yes, there's there's no principle informing what is going on here. This this is why. Uh, I think uh, Tom Cotton's speech on the on mob rule, which points us back to Lincoln's great Lyceum speech, which is about mob rule in 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 the face of uh, the 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 anti-slavery movement and the and the pro-slavery uh, fights, is is apropos of of, of the moment. Let's do there's the first no, two there's cuts. No, uh, there's no principle distinguishing between something that I think needs to go, and we can talk about that. I mean, the, these bases and these things about the Confederacy, which is a particular thing. Uh, which try, which attempting to overthrow the the, the 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 United States, and and founders and other great men, uh, Grant was a great man, uh, but also some flawed figures in history that, uh, despite their flaws, as as Douglas recognizes in that speech about Lincoln, Lincoln he says was not perfect. He he says he was a white man, and he was upholding his country, um, but but he was a great man, and he was a great man because despite those flaws. Despite those human imperfections, he saw through that. He could. He had the ability to see through that to the principle behind that, which should inform us as human beings about the the about a human equality, and and that's what Frederick Douglass saw. If anybody could complain about this country, if anybody could talk about the the deep uh, slavery behind and uh, in, in kind of interwoven in our history, it was Stephen Douglass. But Stephen Douglass, or excuse me, Frederick, Frederick Douglass. Douglass, Frederick Douglass. <laughs> 
But but Frederick Douglass did not think racism and slavery was systemic. This is an important distinction. It existed. It was a it was a necessary evil. It was a compromise to the founding, but it was a compromise for the sake of getting into this regime, the systemic principle of the regime, which is that all men are created equal. Okay, let's, go the, let's go to the let's go to the Senate. Senator Tom Cotton's uh, uh, Senate floor speech from Monday, cut number one. I hope I am overwary, but if I am not, there is, even now, something of ill omen amongst us. I mean the increasing disregard for law which pervades the country, the growing disposition to substitute the wild and furious passions in lieu of the sober judgment of courts, and the worse than savage mobs for the executive ministers of justice. This disposition is awfully fearful in any community, and that it exists now in ours, though grating to our feelings to admit it would be a violation of truth and an insult to our intelligence to deny. Accounts of outrages committed by mobs form the everyday news of the times. Now, those are not my words. Those are the words of a young Abraham Lincoln. But sadly, they ring with truth today. We're going to come back to that. The Lyceum address, which he quoted uh, Matt Spaulding, 30 seconds, very significant in Lincoln's career. This is this is Lincoln's uh, first great speech. Uh, if there are two speeches you read, you read the Lyceum speech and the temperance speech. Uh, here, here's the key. He gave it in 1838. Hugh, you're going to hate this, but he was 29 years old. Uh, this that shows Lincoln's greatness. But- Did he give it in Ohio? I know, you know, it would be better if he gave it in Ohio, Matt. Uh, I'll be back, uh, back it, with it, 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 <laughs> Dean uh, Matt's. It's, it's wonderful speech. Dean Matt Spaulding is my guest. All things Hillsdale are found at hillsdale.edu. All of our conversations are at hughforhillsdale.com. More of Senator Cotton's speech, more conversation with Matt Spaulding. Straight ahead, stay tuned. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Joined by Dean and Matt Spaulding. He is the leader of the Washington, D.C. campus of the hillsdale.edu. Uh, the graduate program of Hillsdale College is located on statesmanship on Capitol Hill. Dean Matt Spaulding leads at all things Hillsdale are found at hillsdale.edu. We're talking about a speech that Senator Tom Cotton gave this week on Monday, referencing a speech given many hundred years, almost 180 years ago by Lincoln himself, Abraham Lincoln, in 1838 in Springfield, Illinois, to which he had recently removed. He was 28 years old. The speech was prompted by the the death, the killing of a black man in St. Louis. He was burned to death by a mob. And so Abraham Lincoln chose to speak that night in Springfield on the perpetuation of our political institutions, specifically against mob violence of the sort that killed that black man in 1838. Here is Senator Cotton on the floor talking about the mobs of today. Cut number two. In recent weeks, violent mobs have roamed our streets, defacing and tearing down statues and monuments, in most cases with neither resistance from the police nor legal consequences. On Friday, a mob tore down another statue just a few blocks from here. The police stood idly by and watched as rioters toppled it and set it on fire. One can only assume they were ordered not to intervene by Washington's left-wing mayor. But here's the thing. Steps were already underway to move that statue lawfully. Washington's delegate in Congress had legislation to that effect. 
But mobs don't care to negotiate, only to destroy. The delegate said, I have no doubt I could have gotten that bill through, but the people got here before due process. Cotton went on to say this about mob violence, and I'll go to Matt Spaulding, cut number three. Most simply, Lincoln knew that mobs inevitably make mistakes and commit injustices. Some may celebrate the destruction of disfavored statues and monuments. But what of the vandals in Boston who defaced a monument to the 54th Massachusetts Infantry Regiment, the first African-American regiment to fight for the Union, whose bravery and skill was immortalized in the movie Glory? What of the outlaws in Philadelphia who defaced the statue of Matthias Baldwin, a devout, passionate abolitionist? Mobs don't discriminate between legitimate and illegitimate targets of their destructions. That's because they are mobs. Lincoln also warned that the lawless in spirit will become lawless in practice because of mob violence, seeing no consequences for crimes. You know, Matt Spaulding, uh, this is the kind of speech the Senate is made to hear. Look, this is um, in, in the midst of all this, I, I've been teaching a course on uh, the pre-Civil War era building up to Lincoln and studying Frederick Douglass and Stephen Douglass. I'm uh, looking for and hoping to find uh, thinkers uh, today who are uh, assessing the situation. And I, I, was, I was just wonderful to hear uh, Senator Cotton's speech. Uh, he has tap, tapped into, I think, the core problem, which we've all missed, including, uh, and this is on the left and the right, which is there's a there's a fundamental difference here, uh, and we need to make some distinctions and go back to a principled way of, of thinking about these questions. The point about um, uh, mob rule, uh, which Senator Cotton says, which goes back to Lincoln's speech uh, intentionally, is, is to make clear a distinction between peaceful protest, uh, which we have a fundamental right to do, uh, and he praises and Lincoln praises, that's how democracy works. But uh, that's a difference between that and something that goes to the next step, which is to violate the law. And the thing behind that violation of the law, which uh, Cotton is pointing to, which Lincoln emphasizes, is, is the passions. Uh, Self-government, free government, constitutional government requires that we, uh, despite the issue of the day, whether it's tearing down statues or uh, uh, fighting against some cause, uh, we need to check our passions and and keep them uh, focused and, and, and learn to orient them towards a more deliberative and rational way of proceeding and, and, and defending those things we love and uh, defending the truth. Um, and the way you do that is through something called the rule of law. And that's not good for the right or the left or, or the, the it's, it's good for everybody. That's how we actually, uh, that's that's the, the crown jewel of what America did and what it, what it accomplished. And you only can have the rule of law if it's based on. It is necessary, but not sufficient. We'll talk more about it after the break on the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. Hugh Hewitt, it's the Hilltale Dialogue. All things Hilltale are collected at hilltale.edu, including some amazing online courses, which will get you through it. The long the quarantine goes, they've got course materials for you and your family at hillsdale.edu. And all of the Hillsdale Dialogues, which I've done either with President Larry Arn of Hillsdale College or Dean Matt Spaulding, who you see there on the screen with me, 
If you're watching on YouTube, he is the dean of the Hillsdale program in D.C., their graduate program. All of those and more are collected at HughForHillsdale.com. Dean Spaulding, before we go to the big questions of bases and aircraft carriers, I want to finish with some Tom Cotton uh, scene-setting excerpts from his speech on Monday. Here he is talking, warning about what mobs do. Eventually, they come for you. Cut number four. The mob doesn't stop at statues. Rioters have already torched police precincts and low-income housing in Minneapolis. Churches and synagogues have been vandalized. Next, perhaps the mob will target the homes of police officers. And soon enough, the mob may come for you and your home and your family. Does the mob expand its power? Lincoln cautioned that good citizens, seeing their property destroyed, their families insulted, their lives endangered, their persons injured, and seeing nothing in prospect that forebodes a change for the better, become tired of and disgusted with a government that offers them no protection. Mob rule can only serve to demoralize our people and shake their faith in our government and our way of life. As the mob rises, civilization recedes. One more cut from Senator Cotton. Cut number five, the ultimate victim of mob rule. Cut number five, please. Finally, Lincoln observed that by operation of this mobocratic spirit, which all must admit is now abroad in the land, the strongest bulwark of any government, and particularly of those constituted like ours, may effectually be broken down and destroyed. I mean the attachment of the people. The final victim of mob rule is the very spirit of civic-minded patriotism that's necessary to preserve our republic. And for all these reasons, Lincoln said, there is no grievance that is a fit object of redress by mob law. We cannot tolerate mob rule, and we cannot allow it to go unpunished. While local authorities would usually take the lead in prosecuting these crimes, unfortunately, Many of them seem unwilling to stand up to the mob and uphold the rule of law. Therefore, I call upon the Department of Justice to bring charges against these mob vigilantes, prosecuting them to the fullest extent of the law. Now, uh, Matt Spaulding, your comments first on Senator Cotton's use of the Lyceum speech by Lincoln. Look, the, the, the uh, Senator Cotton here goes to the heart of the matter, which is the problem with mob law is it always the attachment of the people, as he quotes that passage from Lincoln. Um, that's why we must uphold the law. And the part of the response is we need to have a reverence for the law. This is where Lincoln talks about the, this sense of a civil religion. By means, he means reverence for the law, as he says. Um, and the threat, the reason why this is a concern, Lincoln goes on at great length to explain, is because this opens the door to the possibility of tyranny. Uh, this is also the great speech where Lincoln talks about the uh, the founders, the generation of the founders is his dying and they're passing off uh, in his own lifetime. Lincoln has seen way, and those ideas have suffered not by uh, military attack, he says, but he uses the great, the wonderful phrase, uh, the silent artillery of time. That's also from this speech. Um, that's a problem as well. That undermines the attachment of the people. All of these things open the possible door for uh, for tyranny. And here's where that point is specifically apropos to us, because if there's if if the the founding is faded, 
uh, these great ambitious men, which also include ambition to do tyrannical things, have great temptations. Uh, and it's not necessarily anymore to build things up. The, the, the founding has been completed, Lincoln has says. Uh, and rather than build things up, now they have the incentive, he says, to tear things down. Uh, and uh, the, the, the ambition for greatness is no longer to show and prove the possibility of self-government, but to tear it down and do something else, which might include, Lincoln says, enslaving free men. Uh, this is it, it, and, and there goes to that. That's the heart of, of, of the, 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 the democratic problem Lincoln is pointing to. And what 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 uh, Senator Cotton is alluding to here, uh, that's the problem with mobs. Think of the French Revolution and the French Revolution. They what did they do? They went around chopping off the heads of statues first. Uh, they went into Notre Dame and gutted it and, and destroyed things. But eventually, what did they do? They put a guillotine out and they started cutting the heads off of real kings and real uh, real rulers of, of France. And then eventually started killing each other, including those who favored the revolution because they weren't good enough. That's part of the, uh, part of the issue, Matt, is, is when there are legitimate issues that are unresolved, they are a pretext for mob rule. I want to raise with you two legitimate issues. I drove this week past Fort A.P. Hill in Virginia. There is no reason for any American fort or military installation to be named for a Confederate general, no matter how distinguished a military leader there is. There is a reason to have Washington Lee University, and I'll come to that if we need to get there. But there is no reason to have a Fort A.P. Hill or a Fort Hood. They were treasonous. So, so um, uh, think back to the debate we had over the uh, Confederate flag. Uh, the, the the distinction here, this is why there's no reason in deliberation in this conversation. Uh, there's a principal distinction that can be made uh, between a symbol like the flag, the Confederate flag, which symbolizes a, a claim of another regime uh, to overthrow the United States and establish a new country. Um, we don't fly the flags of other countries. The same thing with uh, Confederate statues, statues that actually uh, honor the Confederacy as an institution. Um, and I think the same thing would go for uh, naming military bases of this country after uh, those who uh, committed treason uh, and also violated their own oath by serving another claim of another country, uh, which was trying to break away and secede from the United States. And I also think, Matt, I don't believe that those line we ought to hold. That's why the Confederacy is different from the founding. But but I think those namings as well, we have to add in the the purpose behind those namings is not the purpose behind the emancipation statute that we talked about earlier. That purpose was to hold up those people. That purpose was to honor A.P. Hill and honor Hood and the cause for which they fought, which was the cause to destroy the Union. I don't know how it ever happened. I, I honestly, I've never even paid attention to it. I admit to the fact I drove past AP Hill probably a hundred times without noticing. Oh, they've named a base for you. Uh, it, it's not about AP Hill. It's not right. a childhood home. It's nothing like that. I believe in the study of the Civil War deeply, well, but so, not so, in so naming. Look, here's at, 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 after the Civil War. Um, there, most of these statues went up, uh, funded by um, veterans of the, of the Civil War in the South. Uh, which I I would point out as a historical fact, were almost all constructed by uh, Democratic legislatures uh, because the Democrats dominated the South. 
uh, not the Republican Party, which was the party of Lincoln. Uh, and they erected these, and they were allowed to be erected. And you go to the battlefield of Gettysburg, where there are lots of Confederate statues. And those are, there's a historical reason for doing this in many cases, which was this was part of healing the country and, and, and uh, recognizing the, the war dead and this great uh, war we've just fought. That I understand, and I want to defend that history, and I will actually defend that. Um, uh, not in terms of the outcome and not in terms of uh, the Confederacy, but as, as something we should all know and, and, and learn and, and see. But uh, to formally recognize those uh, individuals and that, that, uh, that thing called the Confederacy, the, the, uh, which was, and that is an example of systemic racism. It had the protection of slavery formally in its constitution, not, not merely a, uh, a temporary compromise as in the, the American constitution, which I would defend. Uh, that distinction is crucial, crucial. Um, and and that, so that, that is honoring a systemic racist society uh, and as a formality, we should not do that. And, and bases and uh, statues that are formal endorsements by this country, by the United States on federal land, I have a problem with. Now, I want to I want to bring up and want to go into the last segment, Matt. Uh, Doris Miller is the name of the new USS uh, aircraft carrier that will succeed the Ford. Doris Miller was an African-American gunner who was at Pearl Harbor and made the ultimate sacrifice. Doris Miller is a hero. And so the next uh, aircraft carrier is going to be the first one named for an African-American. There is a aircraft carrier named for John Stennis, a senator from Mississippi who appropriated a lot of money to the United States military, stone-cold racist Democrat, segregationist, filibustered the 1964 Civil Rights Act, had nothing to do with the Declaration of Independence. Should a carrier be named for John Stennis? So that's that's a, I have to admit that's a harder one, um, and I would say one thing for sure that decision to name something like that should go through the process, the deliberative process of thinking through uh, through the legislature to decide how to do that and, and give it its guidelines as opposed to merely doing it on the whim of the moment. Uh, but the other thing I would I would generally recognize is look. Uh, these are about human beings and human nature, and they're flawed and imperfect, and uh, you know they um, uh, oftentimes have done terrible things uh, in their past. But one thing that the American society and and the religious underpinnings of our society allow for is is redemption and change. You have to assess that individual and the circumstances in which they acted. You referred earlier to Washington Lee College. Uh, Washington Lee College, it was Washington College, and after the war, uh, uh, Robert E. Lee, who led the Confederacy, and that was his, uh, he committed treason to do so, nevertheless, he became the president of a college, did not continue fighting the war, did not turn it into a holdout, uh, did not teach all of his students to, to, to uh, try to revive the Confederacy. He actually conducted himself uh, in a respect, and that, because of that legacy, it was named Washington Lee College. That's a harder call to to nuance is required to think these things through. Again, this is the problem with mobs. They're irrational. They're immediate. They're impassioned. Uh, that's not the way a democracy, a thoughtful. I, I want to come back after the break. I, I, I believe Washington Lee College should be left as is. And it's not my call anyway. I didn't go there. It's up to the alumni and the trustees. But I understand they renamed Washington Lee in in the high school here 
which was appropriate because it's a high school. I want to come back to this, Dennis, because I think senators listen to this show. I think that's an easy call. We do not want uh, a major American warship making port calls around the United States named for a racist. We just don't. But let's talk about it after the break. And Matthew Spalding will be back in the meantime. All things Hillsdale are at hillsdale.edu. And come right back, America. Last segment of the Hillsdale Dialogue is next. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thanks for listening. This is the last segment of the Hillsdale Dialogue. All things Hillsdale are found at hillsdale.edu. Wonderful college in Michigan. Send your smartest, your best, and your brightest to Hillsdale. They'll emerge better for it. You can listen to all of our dialogues dating back to 2013 at com. I'm joined by Dean Matt Spaulding, who helms Hillsdale in D.C., the graduate program on statesmanship there. Uh, Matt Spaulding, I want to give you just a little bit of John Stennis, who served forever in the United States Senate, and he did a lot of good things. He did a lot of good things, but he was an ardent supporter of racial segregation, he voted, uh, uh, opposed the Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Civil Rights Act of 1968. He signed the Southern Manifesto of 1956, supporting filibuster tactics to uh, block or delay passage of all civil rights legislation. Uh, as a prosecutor, he thought the conviction execution of three sharecroppers whose murder confessions had been extracted by torture very mixed. At the end of his life, he voted for the Voting Rights Act uh, extension in 1982, and he campaigned for an African-American, Mike Espy, in the first uh, African-American to be elected since Reconstruction in his home state of Mississippi. Nevertheless, it's a United States aircraft carrier. It's the only one on which the fetching Mrs. Hewitt has spent a night. She's got a trap on the on the status. Said it's a creepy stateroom full of Stennis memorabilia. I I, I agree with you 100%. I don't want anything named after Harry Byrd either. He was a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Um, And this is a real problem for the Democratic Party, by the way. Yes. Uh, But but look, what what I think we need to do is is to uh, establish a way to think this through. So this this Senate committee, which is going to give them three years, I think that's kind of an absurdity. It is an absurdity. We do this very easily, it seems to me. Uh, but the question is, what's the principal distinction? The radical left today, this is not about the Confederacy. Uh, this is about a racist. And once you, you've opened that door, and I mean, the founding was racist. This is what the 1619 Project means. That's more important than the Declaration of Independence. Um, and, and that is going to get rise to a constant reconsideration of everyone at all times at a moment's notice. This is Maoist. Um, we need to have a principled way to think this through. One principle I put down on the table, which I think we agree on, is that endorsement of the Confederacy is a problem, and we ought not to do that as the United States. That should be uh, off the boards, gone. Uh, deep systemic uh, uh, individuals who show you know, deep racism uh, and have been honored in connection to that, mostly coming from... Uh, uh, you know, continuing defense of, of Jim Crow laws and, and, and bad things going on in the uh, 40s and 50s. Uh, yeah, those should go, too. But we should deliberately think these things through. This gets back to Senator Cotton's speech. We do not proceed as a mob. Uh, Congress can be a mob, too. It's not there in the streets. But, Matt, there is there is a principle. There is a principle. The principle is... Did this individual put the United States on a path or pursue the path towards uh, the Declaration of Independence principles? 
Uh, that is to me, it's the easiest. Did they did they pursue the Declaration of Independence principles? However, imperfectly they pursued them. That certainly well, applies to Washington Jefferson. It certainly applies right. uh, to repentant segregation. The promissory note. Yes. Well, that's why we honor Martin Luther King, right? America was a promissory note. The Declaration was a promissory note. You can't have a promissory note without a promise. The promises of the Declaration. Lincoln was a great statesman because in the midst of all this muddled thinking from uh, John C. Calhoun, who I, who I invented identity policy and crazy people who wanted to burn the Constitution, Lincoln saw through that to that promissory note. He saw the Declaration as, as the key. And that's why Frederick Douglass was right. He was a slave, but he saw through the Constitution. Uh, it's, a, it's a freedom document because he saw the ring bolt. It's the and Declaration. That, and that's the principle. That. That's the principle by which you can strip Calhoun College away from Yale, but uphold uh, the Jefferson Memorial. That is a principle that makes sense to strip the Stennis and to uh, absolutely it, see that is the principle i don't think it takes three years either and when it takes three no, years it doesn't but but it, but it does tell us something about where we are in terms of our political thought on both the left and the right both the left and the right in many ways have have backed away from the principles of the declaration uh as the the, the central idea as lincoln said of of america that is america's systemic principle it's the declaration of independence it's all men are created equal so the problem here, the, the, the attack of, of, uh, of the left, but also the muddled thinking of the right, uh, I think we need to go back to that. What is the systemic principle and make a positive argument? I agree. It's uh, the apple of gold. To prevent, prevent this kind of constant, uh, let's get rid of every statue you can possibly imagine. That's what happened in Rome, and that's what happened in the French Revolution. Um, but we've we got it. I'm just saying— down. We've got that principle. We don't have to spend three years. We've got that principle. The apple of gold surrounded by the frame of silver. We already have it. Let's just broadcast it. Forward to the the senators and explain to them on on record in testimony that we have a principle by which we can make this decision uh, very quickly and we can dispense with this overnight. Overnight. I agree. Matt Spalding, always a pleasure to talk to you, America. All of the Hillsdale Dialogues will be included at HughForHillsdale.com. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, General Ishimo. Thanks, all of you. I'll be back Monday on the next Hugh Hewitt Show.